Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software and production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Quintessence, or Quintessence Ox on Twitter. Welcome back to our interview with James Governor at Redmonk. This is part two. If you didn't listen to part one, please take a look at our website at Page It to the Limit to see part one of this interview. Welcome back and hello, James. Hello. So we were talking a bit about how people can make good decisions with their buying power with tooling, but I actually wanted to leapfrog a little bit further back into the conversation. We mentioned about onboarding developers into tools and into their roles. And so that kind of got me thinking about our pipeline and setting expectations. So we know that we're going to be choosing tools and we know we're going to be choosing procedures around those tools, first and second order decisions, as you say. So what expectations should we be setting for the new people we're bringing in to augment our workforce about how much knowledge they should have, what they should expect to learn when they're coming in? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that, that, that there's an aspect of you can never have enough information when you're walking onto a job. Like from the perspective of certainly expectation setting, but like it's a weird one because we're not always as good at fully explaining, and particularly in startups where people could do a lot of things, we're not always super great at being like, this is the role. This is the one thing that you, you know we're going to measure you on. And I, I know we're of an industry and we talk about OKRs and you know, at the end of the year, and this is going to be the review and everything else. But we're still not super great at being like, this is what you're judged on. And so, you know, there's been an industry conversation recently about, you know, sort of the glue work. You can be doing all of the great, bringing teams together, doing extra documentation across two systems, helping people in chat, going out in forum, answering questions and not be fully acknowledged for that work. And that's bad. And I, I do think being really clear on, you know, this is what we need from you. This is what we expect. Also, what what do you have? Like, generally in tech, we've been through, and it, it depends on the organization, obviously, but but there there can also be some, like, mismatches. You know, great example. You know, if we think about the hiring processes at, you know, a Google or an Amazon, you can go through that whole hiring process, certainly in Google, and it, it's the famous, like, oh, you know, go and, you know, whiteboard out a binary tree, you know, I'll run them all or whatever it is. And then you're like, well, I'm never going to do that in my in my day job. There are interesting things there where actually what's really valuable at these companies, Amazon, Google's technical communication, right? Like your ability to communicate with your with your teams and your peers. So uh, a good friend of mine works at Stripe, Penelope Fippin, and she's like She's like an incredible Rubyist, like knows more about Ruby than pretty much anyone on the planet. Like if you've got a system that has to scale and not fall over and all of those good things, she will build it for you and she will maintain it for you. She's just amazing. But as she has reports and other people in the org that have to work with her, it becomes more and more important. And Stripe definitely is, it's all about the API, but it's also about like clear written communications as she has become sort of more of an engineering manager, the big thing she said is about learning how to communicate. So I think we don't do a good job, and I'm, I feel like a bit like I'm rambling, but like, if communication is important, let's do it, let's support it, and let's people understand that that 
that is what they, they need to do. So yeah, set the expectations, train them in the tools. If you've gone through a process where you're like, oh, you're amazing at these computer science algorithms, and then they come in and they don't actually know the nuts and bolts of a technology, make sure they are trained to do that rather than being like, oh, anybody can learn anything. You learn Java, you can learn Go, boom. If somebody that's perhaps come in from a, a different background um, that isn't computer science degree, but they've got good skills, perhaps they've taught themselves, been through a boot camp, they may have a different set of expectations. So again, make sure you communicate effectively about what's expected, find out what the, the skills lacks are, and invest in training. Nobody wants to invest in training. And I guess to finish my rant, invest in training to support your people. You have to invest so they can learn so they can be more effective. And I think training is super important in onboarding and very few organizations do it well. So you thought you were finishing your rant, but actually. (laughs) (laughs) So with the pipeline problems that some of, that the industry has kind of like as as an overall, right? In aggregate, we have Mm -hmm. teams that are existing. Oh, we're hiring mid to senior level roles because we don't have the ability to trade juniors. It's usually some variant of that is given as the reason. But if you don't bring in the juniors, you don't have more mid to seniors. The seniors can't grow up, grow old, retire. And then you're always landlocked in the same pool of people. However, on the other hand, mentorship is usually viewed as glue work. To your point, you have your core role, which is infrastructure or platform or whatever, whatever it is. But then the mentoring and some of this onboarding, aside from what's codified maybe by the company, is going to be viewed as glue work. So how would you, if it were me, I would say, okay, well, let's make mentoring part of core. But how would you even have that conversation? What do you think? Do you think that's, what do you think the way to proceed is? Uh, oh, yes. You're, <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> mentoring, I believe, should be part of core. If you want to progress in your career, you should be able to help people along that journey. That said, there's already trigger words there, sort of glue work. I said, like, this is your responsibility to do a thing. There are dangers for an organization that this stuff can become gendered in a really unhelpful way. Women being expected to mentor uh, women that have come into the org. Oh, here's yet another woman that needs mentoring. You're the woman in the org. You should mentor this person. And or we then go into other perhaps intersectionalities, perhaps as a black woman. So like, well, clearly every black woman that joins the team should be mentored by the black woman. Whereas in fact, that doesn't actually make sense. There's a huge amount of responsibility placed on people. And that can be very, very unfortunate and very, I think, uncomfortable. And certainly, you know, if there's a white dude sitting in the corner quietly not doing any mentoring, getting on with his job, and he just got promoted without doing any glue work, then yes, indeed, the corporation has a problem. So I think that not everybody is going to be good at mentoring, but everybody should try and get better at it. And everybody in an engineering org should be supporting folks to get better. And it really grinds my gears, this idea that you shouldn't hire juniors. There are so many amazing, amazing, amazing people. And I was going to say amazing kids, but they're not because they could have come in. I've met a ton of amazing like women that were in finance that have retrained to go into tech, you know, they could be any age, they could be any gender, but like, 
Yeah, like the idea that, look, any organization that cannot train and make people more effective, I don't think they're a truly successful organization. So these things definitely, like going back to the onboarding point, what the onboarding experience should not be is, oh, you're a woman joining the team, so you need to therefore be mentored by that woman. It's like making sure that you have a set of good mentors that are able to work effectively with a wide range of people. And yeah, I mean, you know, end of the day, look, why would you not do this? Because the, the war for talent isn't going away anytime soon. It's actually a huge advantage bringing juniors on. So, or bringing less experienced team members. This is something I feel quite passionately about. I think if the answer is we can't hire juniors, then that's a problem. I agree very vocally. I also, on the mentee side, and I'm curious to your thoughts on this, I normally set mentees up with the expectation that they probably will have more than one mentor. They might have someone they work with primarily or they might have someone who overlaps very heavily with their intended area of expertise, but they might also have other mentors who are able to help with other areas of industry. And that kind of goes to your point about having like a team of people who can work with other people. But I'm curious as to your thoughts for on the junior side. So instead of focusing on the mid to seniors who we hope are listening to this and being like, you know, I am going to try mentoring and bring more people into our industry. But on the junior side, what would they expect to see? And if they're in a company where we'll say mentorship isn't, we'll say is it, it isn't strong, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not strong everywhere. How can they advocate for themselves and get those connections that they need in that company? Oh, you're asking so many good questions. I don't have the answers to. I think it's difficult because one answer is, oh, let the new person take responsibility for themselves and ask for stuff. But obviously, you've just entered the org. You don't know everybody. You may feel that you were lucky to get in there. You you are not always going to be as confident of your skills as you could and should be. So the making it the responsibility of the individual can be difficult. That said, I, I do think it, there can be value to looking for mentors. It's okay to ask and it's okay to say no. You know, if anyone is listening, I'm happy to help and mentor if I can. I'm an industry analyst. I'm not a practitioner, although every day I spend with practitioners. But I, I have years of experience of working with tech companies of all different sizes. I may be able to help you in your career. Um, so at Monk Chips, feel free to uh, you know contact me on, on Twitter or, or just email me, james at redmonk.com. Stephen, who you mentioned earlier, Stephen O'Grady, he just put out a thing offering to help people with their resumes. The next day, he was like helping a young student in, in Lagos in Nigeria to hone their resume. We want to help. So don't be afraid to ask for help, even though it can be really like, you know, and perhaps that's where an external mentor rather than internal one, because you're worried like, oh no, if I'm asking for an inter- a mentor internally, everyone's going to think I don't belong. Like I'm not good enough. You know, that can be a, a psychological thing. So maybe sort of mentors outside can be super helpful. I don't know. I mean, it's really difficult in answer to your question. If you're a senior engineer, if you're in in middle management, in tech, heal yourself, fix yourself, take on mentoring responsibility. It will make you feel good. You will be a better person. Your organization will become more effective. You be the one that agitates for glue code as a value. 
you go and change the stuff in your company so that your mentoring gets respected and everybody benefits. So yeah, let's not make it the responsibility of the new person. Yeah, those senior people, directors of platform, all of you people, it's your job to fix this in your organization. I wholeheartedly agree. And to piggyback a little bit, I also have DMs open to prospective mentees or anyone who just wants to set up like a a coffee or tea and and chat. So just feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at my Twitter handle, which is in my bio or at Quintessence at PagerDuty. So hopping away from mentoring for a little bit, because we could probably do a three-parter if we we stuck on this topic. Between the two of us, we could totally do a three-parter. So let's talk about role specialization a little bit. Yes. Within an organization, we're talking about cultural transformation. Let's talk a bit about role specialization. And to get started, let's talk briefly so that we can dive in what the different roles should be within an IT org or within like platform and application and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that we've been getting wrong. We've gone through a period, but it goes a bit to this plethora of choice is that we're like, well, everybody can make choices, so they should learn everything. And we've sort of been through, and we see a lot of this, especially in, in like the Kubernetes world. It's like, Everybody has to know everything about Kubernetes and these other technologies, as it's sort of mentioned, you know, Grafana, Prometheus, and they've got to do Helm charts, got all of this stuff that they need to know in order to use the system. And that's sort of a sign of, of an immature ecosystem. Like, you don't need to hack the Linux kernel in order to use Ubuntu. Like, that, like, makes no sense. So... Um, I think that like Linux has shown us like specialization and like some people, yeah, by all means become a kernel hacker or, you know, perhaps you're doing something in storage and file system or, or whatever it is, but just because you're using a tool doesn't mean that you need to understand all of its internals, frankly. And so I think that in that, in that Kubernetes world, and we sort of saw this and it's interesting because the folks at Pivotal had understood this. This goes back to the, the idea of building and rebuilding Heroku. Cloud Foundry was established as this idea that I could just do CF push, and the developer didn't have to know everything. They just wrote the code, and the platform did the work. I think that was honestly a, a highly valuable way of thinking about this, and we're beginning to see a bit of a return to that in the Kubernetes world, where you should have an ops team, and you should have dev teams, They both do DevOps. They both have responsibility for managing, understanding, and observing the systems that they run. But that doesn't mean that they need to know everything about the internals of each other's systems, in fact. So platform operators, and I think the industry is beginning to shake out on this a bit, like product owners running platforms with responsibility for platforms, and then application developers writing digital products and services that, that, again, run on those platforms. Um, we need some specialization. It can't, and it, it was funny, because I, I had a conversation once, the full stack developer. Like, what does that mean? And it, it was interesting, because I was thinking, I, I was sort of, sort of a, a sort of a slightly, like, absurd, like, wait, that nobody can really be full stack developer. Then it turned out, some other people were like, whoa, that's like, you use that as an insult to people. I'm like, but the idea that you're going to understand everything about, React on the front end, and then you're going to understand exactly how Redis works, like at the back end, and you're going to understand 
the container orchestration system that, you know, your database is sitting on. I mean, it just, we're asking too much of people. So specialization, training, this is what you do. I mean, those T-shaped skills can be highly valuable, but I think the industry needs to move a bit more to like skills certification. And so, yeah, like some people are really good at managing systems. That is okay. So there was an interesting conversation recently uh, I, I saw where, where someone was saying like, oh, yeah, no, it's you know saying the opposite. Oh, everybody should know everything. You know, if you're on the team, you have to know how the underpinnings of what it works on. But like the idea that at Google, every person writing code knows how Borg works at a deep level, that's not it. And so, you know, you have SREs with a set of skills. They take advantage of a set of platforms. But not everybody can know everything. And so, yeah, you know, let's solidify what it means to be an SRE. Let's solidify what it means to be a platform ops person. Let's have platforms that can make those people more productive without knowing everything. We're here supposed to be doing automation. Much as we go into a bit more of a platform era, I think we're going to go into a bit of a specialization. Tech is at its best from bringing everyone in when we have those sort of, yeah, waves of certification and alignment and training where it's like, you can get paid to come and do this job and hopefully paid well, and then we can create jobs accordingly. And I wholeheartedly agree. And that makes sense. And while you were talking, I was thinking a little bit about like these role definitions and specialization is important. And thank goodness, because in my career, you know, I did, uh, I was a database admin for a while and did some introductory when I was a junior in cloud engineering. I was mostly doing what's platform and then later doing SRE. It was very helpful to me to not necessarily need to dig deep all the way down. But one of the things that I noticed crop up every so often early and even still now is when teams who are very heavily specialized don't necessarily know what is happening on the other side of the fence. And for dev and ops, DevOps, Mm -hmm. unsurprisingly, does solve some of this problem one of the things that I was thinking about is how sometimes we hear we shadow to try and learn about what other teams are doing, not in a in a sense of like, I need to be a network engineer, but being aware of what that network engineer's process flow is, what their expectations are, mm-hmm. so that you can vault requests to each other productively is, I think, very helpful. I'm curious to your thoughts and, and just your thoughts in general about having these highly specialized teams work together in a way that moves them all forward. Yeah, I mean... That's a great pushback because it, it's like knowing a little bit can help you to understand the challenges of the other person. But of course, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing also. Yes. <laughs> so I don't want to come across and saying there isn't value to learning different things deeply. And, you know, it's funny, you're talking about database admin. So my colleague, Rachel, who's very brilliant and a delightful human, she joined the team and we were talking and, and after the meeting, she was like, James, Steve, do, do people not like DBAs? <laughs> oh, no. And, and she was like, but I was a DBA and I didn't know, you know, and, and it is, it's the classic like, oh, it's the DBA's fault. They're not being flexible enough. They're not responding to my changes. You've been there, right? So you've, you've been in, in that world. But let me tell you, her understanding what it means to manage a database is just like highly valuable in so much of the work she does in like with our clients and across the board. So she's got this rich, I mean, she's been a DBA. She's got like business skills. She's an MBA. Rachel's 
brilliant you know and all of those skills they they interlock and i as somebody that she works for consider it sort of my responsibility to be like how do i and i haven't always done this well like i haven't always done this well but but increasingly it's like okay i'll be i'll be honest i'm going to take a step back steve and james at red monk historically i think have been a little bit like in fact, yeah, we have been classic tech bros. We have been a bit hire people like us and let them do the work, right? And and that's been fine. And we've hired brilliant people, and you know, you know, they've done tremendous work and everything else. But I've been on a journey over the past, I don't know, I feel like maybe five, six years, where what I've understood is no, hire people because of what they're good at, and then find ways for them to mesh those skills. And up level so that the the one plus one equals three, and really don't have people like you hire people because of what makes them brilliant, and then yeah, like oh hey look these skills these two skill sets they've got are somewhat close together. Like if if we can help like overlay those or make that their coverage area, I think I've been really honest <laughs> in a way that I didn't fully expect to be. But but yeah, I think it's that, that yes, there is a huge advantage to having multiple areas in which you're quite deep. The idea that everybody can deepen everything is crazy. Fair enough. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, James, for meeting with us. And this is the part where we ask our two recurring questions. And since we've kind of been a little over the place between tooling and cultural change and people, I'm just going to ask you very broadly, what is one thing you wish you had known sooner in your career? I wish I'd been a better manager. I wish that I had been better at truly listening to the skill sets of my colleagues and supporting them to become more effective. I, I think when you do this job, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe watch us and learn. The thing I wish I'd known better was being a better manager in that regard of, oh, and, and related to that and all of the other conversation we've had understanding people's need for clear career path. So at Red Monk, again, hey, you've got these two founders and we're found, like, titles don't matter. I, I'll call myself an industry analyst. And titles don't matter when you're the business owner, but maybe for someone else they do. So structure and support and listening. I wish I'd been a better manager. I wish I'd been better at listening and better at supporting people. And then that would have been good. Thank you for that very candid answer. I, I know I appreciate it. I hope our listeners do as well. And on the opposite side for the question, is there anything you're glad we didn't ask you about in this recording? <laughs> yeah, yes. What is the total addressable market for DevOps and or incident management tools in 2023 to 2025? Because that is the worst voodoo in this industry. And I have no idea. I have no idea. Total addressable market. Just I'm glad you didn't ask me that. Fair enough. And thank you again for joining us, James. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and possibly a bit relaxed. I'll, I'm a bit worried at listening this back. I may have, uh, I don't know. I, I, said it, I said before we did this podcast, there was no off-limits questions. I think honesty is important. So much though I may have said things that make me look bad, Honesty is probably the best policy. So there you go. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And this is Quintessence wishing you an uneventful day.
That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittolimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittolimit using the number two. That's pageittolimit with the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. <laughs>